In each episode of the Rebel Educator podcast, you'll hear discussions with world-class educators, students, and thought leaders in education as I extract the tactics, tools, and routines that you can use as teachers and parents. I'm Tanya Sheckley, founder of Up Academy and host of Rebel Educator. I invite you to join me for these conversations as I discover how to shift the classroom, the learning environment, the mindset, and the pedagogy to resist tradition, reignite wonder, and reimagine the future of education. Subscribe to Rebel Educator wherever you get your podcasts. On today's show, the guys talk with John Couch, former vice president of education for Apple. There's an East update, information on the Conrad Challenge, outrageous banter, and more up next on EduTech Guys. You're listening to the EduTech Guys, edutechguys.com. Hello and welcome to EduTech Guys Radio. I'm David Henderson. Hey, and I'm Jeff Madlock. Yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for uh, tuning in, listening out there. It's going to be a great show. We've got a really special guest uh, with lots of great things going on for him and uh, some big stuff he did in his life that has uh, actually affected all of us. Uh, an amazing amazing story yep but remember go out to the web check us out www.edutechguys.com heck just go to google type in edutechguys and guess what you're going to find us there probably with a halloween costume on and holding out our little buckets asking for candy because it's coming up it's halloween time it is i'm going as david and he's going as me <laughs> Boo. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna have to grow a goatee well actually we'll just you're gonna have to shave your we'll head we'll just go as our regular selves we'll just say i'm david and you say you're jeff oh Oh, we can just do the voice change things like face off, you know, yeah. with John Travolta and so, okay, so do me. Nicolas Cage. Okay, ready? Hey, I'm Jeff Madlock. I'm the greatest thing to ever happen here. Yay for me. Okay. <laughs> that's probably a bad idea. I don't think that's going to work so well. <laughs> okay, so maybe that's not a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I better just go as uh, Bewitched or something. Oh, there you go. You can just like <laughs> wiggle your nose. Was that Bewitched? No, that was Jeannie. Tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. I don't know. Uh, which is yeah, which? wiggle her nose. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeannie was Jeannie crossing her, her arms hands and blinked, and her eyes. blinked her eyes. Hey, reach out on Twitter and <laughs> tell us what you think of the show. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't judge us by this one alone. Uh, right. We are, I don't know. It's uh, it's Wednesday. It's cloudy. It's fall. It's uh, it's sleepy time weather. Hey. I need some vegetable soup. Oh, there you go, man. Doesn't that sound good? It, it does. And a grilled cheese. And grilled cheese and some crackers. Ooh. Now you got it going. There it is, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, trick or treat we want soup yeah hey listen we had a great weekend didn't we I mean, oh my gosh we, uh, last week we were at arcot on thursday in little rock and then we hopped in the car and drove to houston to um uh to the aldine school district and did tcca 2018 yeah and and i have to say the the way that those folks down in aldine uh put on that conference it's it's a one-day conference it's on a saturday they get all kinds of teachers they get all kinds of students who give up their saturday to come out and help make this thing happen and we presented a couple of sessions there we did live coverage and there were a ton of people there thousands literally yeah thousands. well they had like four thousand yeah, they had people. to park offside at another school and bus and, and shuttle folks in there's so many people really uh, be it, part of this absolutely incredible and the other thing is that for the attendees for the folks that come to the conference it doesn't cost them a it's dime free food and everything the, yeah and they get breakfast and lunch yeah yeah in fact the, their uh their uh, commercial food services kids students 
fixed us breakfast, and it was phenomenal, as was the facilities they have there. But the food was great. It was awesome. Everybody there was awesome. It's really great to see the Esprit de Corps. Hey, if you want to find out more about it, uh, I wrote a quick blog article on our website, edutechguys.com. Take a look at it. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, learn more about it. Maybe catch the bug to want to do that in your own yeah, district. Yeah, micro-conferences across districts would be really cool. Get yeah. your people real excited. Awesome stuff. Well, and speaking of awesome stuff, we got some awesome stuff coming up right now. Yeah. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. This episode of EduTech Guys is brought to you by Sky PBX. Take your calls to the cloud. With a cloud-based PBX, your cell phone can be your extension number and your desk phone can be in your home office, giving the caller a seamless way to get a hold of you or your employees. With our cloud PBX, you can have your phone anywhere with an internet connection. Professional services, cost-effective, scalable, and adaptable. Easy to use, Sky PBX. SkyPBX.com. That's S-K-Y-E-P-B-X.com. Hey, welcome back to the Edge of Tech Guys. Uh, we're really excited to have our next guest on the show today. Uh, it's uh, Mr. John Couch, and we'll let him actually introduce himself some more and tell us uh, who he is and where he's, on, where, he, where he's at and what he does and all that kind of good stuff. So uh, take it away. <laughs> all right. Well, good morning, guys, and uh, or whatever time it is around the world. Um, I, I am John Couch, have been for 71 years. Uh-huh. Uh, recently, the um, vice president of education for the last 16 years at Apple. Uh, retired on May 8th, which happened to coincide to the day my book was launched. And uh, prior to that, I spent 10 years rebuilding a, uh, a school in North County, San Diego, and was the 54th employee of Apple Computer working directly with Steve Jobs. Uh, my degrees are in computer science and from UC Berkeley. Uh, in fact, I have one of the first 50 computer science degrees in the United States. So uh, even though I started off as a techie, I ended up in management and finally in education for the last 30 something years. That's pretty awesome. So I, I'm, I'm curious too, when, when, you were, when you were brought in uh, to uh, revamp, rework, launch, I'm, I'm not exactly sure which, which term to use there, but um, basically to, to uh, reinvigorate Apple's education program. Talk a little bit about that, if you can. Well, uh, yeah, looking at the data, Apple had declining revenues and, and certainly market share for probably 13 years prior to, prior to Steve asking me to come back in 2002. And, um, you know, I had always, um, always asked the first question, you know, why? Why are you in education? What is your vision? And uh, Steve was always very, very clear on describing the vision of Apple, which he saw technology amplifying our uh, intellectual ability. Uh, so he termed the, he coined the term uh, uh, mental bicycle. And when I asked education what their vision was, no one could really articulate it. Um, but having spent 10 years in a K through 12 school, recognizing that every student in some way was unique. They were individuals and they were gifted in a unique way. Um, I created a vision for, for, for Apple, which dealt with fundamentally that this is a generation of new students, of digital natives, and each of the students is uniquely gifted uh, in, in a particular way. And therefore we needed to start on the path towards individualization rather than standardization. 
we ended up, uh, you know, and of course the internet was in place, mobility was coming on board. So in the 10 years, uh, in the first 10 years, we were able to grow the business from about a billion to $10 billion. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Wow. So it sounds like when you retired May 8th, you didn't, you didn't slow down. You actually picked up speed. And <laughs> yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting how that happens. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like with the, with the launch of your book. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about re, what you've learned uh, over your 71 years, especially your time with Apple doing education uh, that takes us to the book Rewiring Education. Let's talk about that. Give us a, give us a, a, a summation of that. Well, you know, the, the goal of the book was to start a conversation uh, to, uh, at the parent level, at the teacher and administrative level, to, um, to, to better understand what I think everybody knows, and that is we've built a pedagogy in our schools based on memorization, based wow. on the 1912 essay by the Board of Education, funded, by the way, by John D. Rockefeller, to wow. produce to produce workers in the factory. And, uh, you know, ironically, if you go back to 1846, when kindergarten was invented by Frederick Freebull, you know, he saw the students as creative beings, uh, you know, made uh, in the likeness of, of God and therefore creative. And so kindergarten was all about creativity. It was about moving. It was about dancing. It was about nature. And he produced some tools, uh, which, which he called uh, Freibel Gifts. And um, they were basically a series of blocks that, by the way, are still used at the graduate school at MIT in architecture for kids to take something from nature and build it abstractly. So the whole purpose of kindergarten, which stands for student in the garden, uh, was to be creative. When that came over in the United States, Primarily about the same time as that 1912 essay, Milton Bradley was commissioned to build the blocks and they put the alphabet on the blocks. So, you know, just the opposite of what Frederick had in mind. And if you look at kindergarten today, it's all about worksheets. It's all about literacy rather than creativity. And if you look at um, the data on creativity, 98% of fifth graders are creative but only 2% of adults. So you can see what our education system uh, based on memorization has done to creativity. Now, when I met Steve in 1978, uh, he saw technology as the tools, if you will, that would amplify our intellect, that would allow us to go places we hadn't gone before, to be innovative, to be creative. And, uh, you know, I, I saw that. I saw, you know, software being the, the, key, the key component to make that happen. And so I, you know, I took the big pay cut and I, and I took the, the cut and the number of people that I would manage and joined Steve. Uh, he was 21. I had just turned 30 and um, I had nobody to manage but to work side by side with Steve. Which is a ble- which is a blessing in its own right. Oh sure, yeah, sure. absolutely. I mean, uh, I can only amazing. imagine. Yeah, yeah I absolutely. can only imagine. So okay, so I'm curious. So um, when you when you when you take those early ideas or, or those ideas of what early education was supposed to be, especially compared to what it is now in America, 
and you you apply the the concept of rewiring education what does that look like what does that mean when you are working with school well it it means you know it it means change okay it means to be constantly uh ready to adapt uh not to be locked in to you know to traditional footsteps uh you know there's been sort of two avenues if you will and, and people looking at education. One is throw the whole, the whole baby out with the bathwater. And mm-hmm. the other has been, you know, sort of patch it. Well, we'll patch it by only having 20 kids in a class. You know, we'll patch it by this. Kind of like the way we patch software. Um, our idea was more of, you know, one, we, we need to get back to the, why does education exist? And it, it should exist for the student. And therefore, everything should be built around the student. So rather than building a network that's based on productivity, we need to build a network that's based on knowledge creation and sharing. Um, And so it's a a constant, you know, we didn't go to the moon with a straight shot. We had constant course corrections every 24 hours. And I think that's what we were calling for was, number one, uh, a new pedagogy, obviously. I mean, I think the book talks about 12 changes all of those changes have to do with learning none of them have to do with standardization or bureaucracy um but but it's it's a leadership role it's to to create the why why does your school exist um what direction are you going to take that school what kind of people are you going to hire uh to take that particular direction and how are you going to free yourself from the rules and regulations of the past so let's uh, may I ask this question. So, in your venture and your school that you you helped uh, in San Diego, um, which of those steps did you apply? And did you guys start from the beginning and, and just literally start fresh and new at ground zero, or did you uh, slowly modify and um, adapt over time? No, I you know I had the advantage. You know, there's an old saying that people don't argue about the color of the life preserver when you're drowning. Right. So, you know, I had the advantage that the school was drowning. Now, the, school had been, the school had been shut down, uh, the property sold, uh, the parents kind of got together and tried to keep the school going on a month-by-month basis uh, while the property got its approvals for condominium developments. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, one of the first things that I did is I did a demographic study to better understand the needs of the community, and I found that 60% of the community had some form of college. And yet when I looked at the school, there were no AP courses, no, you know, um, honors courses. And it was obvious the school was not meeting the needs of the community. And the community was driving by the school 20 and 30 miles to go to more college prep schools. So, uh-huh. so in addition to that demographic study, I had to, I had to, I had to create a vision. I had to, uh, you know, uh, communicate to the community why. And uh, for me, it was basically, I termed, used the term beyond potential, that our role would be to take each child and teacher, for that matter, beyond what they perceive their potential to be. You know, nobody argued with that. And then that clarified the mission statement, which was to develop the Christian leader of tomorrow, being a Christian school. And, you know, development we need to develop, you know, the mind. We need to develop the body in terms of athletics. We need to develop the character, the spiritual nature, 
and the, and the word tomorrow opened the door for me to integrate technology into the school. And sure. at that time, and at that time, we were the first school in, the North, in San Diego to basically build, you know, a Macintosh lab to hand wire our own fiber optics, uh, you know, basically to create a whole new vision for the school. And the school went from 120 students to 480 students within two years. Wow, man. Wow, that's, that's, that's a huge increase. So did you find that when you, when you, when you infuse that idea of creativity as the basis into this school, especially through technology, uh, did you instantaneously see the students start to develop even faster? Well, students, yes. <laughs> Faculty, that's another question, okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's ironic. You know, I, I tell the story in the book about my son who was four years old when Steve came into the house and put an apple II in the kitchen table and said, Chris, you can have this if your dad comes to work for me. And, um, you know, that little guy got on that mental bicycle and, and went places and did things that I didn't think a four-year-old was capable of. By the time I left Apple, he was in sixth grade. He did, he did all the training for the teachers. He showed the teachers how technology could be integrated into learning by writing hypercard stacks that showed the migration of the, of the Roman Empire through yeah. Europe in an, wow. anima- in an animated form. So... What I, I did not want to be a dictator. I did not want to come. I viewed the school as service, as a mission. And so what I offered was any teacher to be paid in the summer to be retrained to use technology in the classroom. And the first summer, I only had one uh, teacher take me up on the offer. And she was a seventh grade science teacher that was on probation. And we worked with her through this summer, and we created a completely new curriculum based on technology. We put a large screen TV in her, in her room with DVDs, uh, with hypercards, with an Apple II. And uh, it sort of changed the whole, you know, the whole pedagogy of the classroom, such that all the kids would do on the campus in the algebra classes and other classes was talk about Debbie Cully's science class. Yeah. And, and since there were two science classes, the other parents came to me and said, well, how come we don't have this in our class? Uh, we're willing to pay for it. And that's how it got started. It just became a, you know, a movement, if you will, uh, with teachers coming to me and saying, can you do the same thing for me that you're doing in Debbie's class? Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that is amazing. So, so John, right now, what's your mission right now? Like, what, what's... Uh, your next uh, oh gosh you guys are uh put me on the spot here but oh, sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I can tell you it's bigger than i am and um, when i was at the school and i was really uh searching for you know is this what is this the purpose of my life am i to go from a vice president of apple computer having worked with bill gates and steve jobs to this small school in north county san diego where my desk was, had a broken leg, my carpet had ink stains, my chair had a broken leg, and, you know, I just felt compelled to sort of meet the, the needs, you know, it's kind of like the Good Samaritan, you know, yeah. and the need at that time was the school. But the message I got was pretty clear, and the message was, you need to build a school, and I use the word school lightly, you need to build a learning environment not a memorization environment for all children. And that's haunted me for over 30 years. 
And I think now that the technology is now in place with, you know, capabilities like iTunes, which can distribute curriculum and content around the world. Uh, and so I formed a nonprofit organization uh, for next year called beyondschool.com. And there's a school in Moralia, Mexico, in the state of Michigan, formed by a parents for their daughter 24 years ago that have, has built a curriculum with a software company that used 42 of the Apple Distinguished Educators, a curriculum from age three through 15 built around challenge-based learning, which the book you know, goes into, into detail. And this is an environment that's, that makes learning relevant it turns the students into creators of content rather than just consumers of content. It allows for projects that are collaborative in nature. In other words, students working together. When I went to school, that was called cheating. And every project <laughs> I ever had was a single person project, right? right. And, and that solves a problem in the community. Therefore, it's challenging. So, it, you know, we go from memorization to something that's relevant, creative, collaborative and challenging. And that's what uh, the Notion software has done. And they've offered that software to me as a nonprofit. And so my hopes are that I will be able to provide that to uh, schools in Africa where I've, where I've been involved in, in supplying some iPods, uh, where we now have young girls sitting on dirt floors, uh, coding in Swift and, and programming drones. Uh, to the tune that the school administration has realized that the curriculum, uh, that the students are much more capable than the curriculum allows. So they're now rewriting their whole curriculum to, to a, an environment in Haiti where I've been working with um, Operation Underground. Uh, Tim Ballard, who was a former CIA Homeland Security who formed a non-profit organization called Underground Railroad, where he contracts with Navy SEALs and ex-military and goes in and saves these kids that are in sexual bondage. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my role, you know, they're going to need to be um, rebuilt, you know, spiritually, emotionally, but they're also going to need an education. So my, sure. hope, my hope is that beyondschool.com would be an appropriate vehicle for them to start, you know, rebuilding their education. So, you know, that's the, that's the big audacious uh, challenge that's out there. And um, I hope to start that next year. That's really yeah. awesome. Wow. So um, uh, we'll start to wrap up here, but I really uh, give us some information for our listeners so they can read uh, about the book um, because that is definitely your message and your mission is right there. Um, they can get a hold of it. And um, several of our education listeners would love to get a hold of it. What's the best way for them to get a, a copy of that book? Well, it's easily available on Amazon.com. Okay. And uh, in, in addition to that, we have a website called rewiringeducation.com uh -huh. and also a Facebook page with over 5,000 followers. Uh, awesome. and, our, and our goal, of course, is, to, is we've already started a second book called Education Rewired, which will, which will share with the, with the readers uh, schools all around the country that are, that are, you know, drawing outside the lines. Uh, you know, I, I like to say the revolution uh, for school change has, has begun. It's just not equally distributed. And so to add to the conversation, we want to provide real examples of unique learning uh, environments that are taking place around the world. 
That's really awesome. So yeah. if uh, one of our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, uh, do you have a personal email or a business email you could share with them? Yeah, it's, it's just jcouch, the number one, at me.com. Oh, that's a really awesome. Well, um, I, we want to thank you for coming on the show, and uh, we uh, definitely need to get, catch back up again in a few months and find out uh, where you are and what's going on. If there's any way we can ever help to get the word out, we'd love to do it. Well, I appreciate that. You know, um, I just, I, you know, I have, I've raised four kids and I have 16 grandkids. So, you know, I'm, I'm personally involved in, in changing and getting our education system, you know, out of the 19th century and into the 21st century. That's really Absolutely. awesome. Amen. Well, John, thank you for coming on the show and we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. The Conrad Challenge unleashes the potential of students to solve the world's most difficult challenges through innovation. Teams of two to five students, ages 13 to 18, along with a coach, are invited to compete in the 2018-2019 Challenge. The deadline was recently extended to November 2nd. Learn more about this global innovation event and register at www.conradchallenge.org. Collaborate, educate, innovate. Conrad Challenge. Hello, I'm April Jackson, and this is your East Update. Middle school, a time of braces, bad haircuts, budding romances, and fearless adventures at school? Yep, that's what one of our Helen Tyson East facilitators believes. Brittany Berry tells us how East provides an environment for students to be fearless inside and outside the classroom. I think East is amazingly well suited for for kids who are kind of in that 11 to 13 year old age. They're kind of moving out of concrete operational into like kind of like the really the grayness of the world. Um, but at the same time, they're they're not as fearful about other people's expectations or a failure or how they'll be perceived. Um, in some of the best ways, they're very naive about the world at that age still, and it's really nice because um, they don't have that jaded nature, so you can have a conversation about um, they identify a specific problem and their ability to brainstorm is so much wider and more open because they don't have those those fears and conceptions they haven't been told no as much yet at that age and uh, especially if they've never been in an environment like east before coming out of elementary school um, because they don't have those same fears i think they adjust to the to the project-based learning environment much more quickly than say like a 16 or 17 year old who's still kind of used to the traditional uh, classroom structure. So it doesn't take them long at all to really own the classroom and own the space and, and set these big audacious goals and, and, and see themselves as change makers. I, I taught uh, 16 and 17 year olds um, in a different subject matter, but I think they always saw a lot more through this lens of failure or how others were going to see them or expect them to behave or um, they had already been limited so much in their educational careers at that point that uh, it would have been harder to put up on the board like solve community hunger 
um, and see like the light bulbs go off and the creative thinking process that I get to see out of my, my little ones. Sounds like we have to remove the lens of fear and get more creative like the middle school students at Helen Tyson. If you're interested in learning how to become more fearless like our East students, follow us on social media at The East Initiative or visit our website at eastinitiative.org. Our music today is Battleground from Nick M, another Lincoln Middle School student. Thanks, Nick. With your East update, I am April Jackson. Hey, we want to thank the folks from East Initiative uh, providing us the updates each week. Yeah, they always do a really great job providing some really wonderful stuff. Hey, we also want to thank uh, John Couch for coming on the show. What a great interview. Um, really cool. He left, retired at Apple, kept running right into retirement, and kept going with education as hard and as fast as he can. If you get the opportunity, visit his website, buy his book, take a look, see if you can help, or maybe he can help you. Yeah, absolutely. And if that interview sounded a little weird, it's because uh, we recorded that while we were driving down the road. Well, no, we weren't driving down the road. We pulled off the side of the road in our mobile studio. The Orange Crush. Yeah, that's the Orange Crush. I've got an orange charger. It's our mobile studio. Yeah, we can do uh, pretty much recordings at 115 miles an hour. Uh, Interviews. Okay, no, we wouldn't do that. We'd always pull over. But yeah, we do the best we can. Hey, listen, if you want to see us in person, pretty soon we're going to be at AESA. That's the Association of Educational Service Agencies Conference in Colorado Springs at the end of November, beginning of December. Yeah, that's right. And then after that, in in January, I'll get my months right. In January, we're going to be at FETC in Orlando. Hey, and then right after that, we're going to be at ICE, Illinois, in Schaumburg, which is right outside of Chicago, in the 1st of February. And that's the Illinois Computer Educators uh, Conference. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to find out more information about us, where we're going to be, what we do, all that good stuff, head over to the website, www.edutechguys.com. Hey, it's been a great show. I'm Jeff Madlock. I'm David Henderson. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the EduTech Guys, edutechguys.com. This is Ross Romano from The Authority here on the B Podcast Network. It's the show where I interview people who know what they're talking about, and no matter your role, we have some recent episodes you won't want to miss. I spoke with Mark Miller, international best-selling author and VP of High Performance Leadership at Chick-fil-A, about his brand new book, Culture Rules. Kate Everly Walker, CEO of Presence and author of The Good Boss, joined the show, and we've had conversations with Baruti Caffele, Peter DeWitt, Julie Evans, and many more. Join us each week for ideas to address your current pain points, new perspectives from authors you admire, and fresh takes from up-and-coming voices. Subscribe to the Authority Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.